Welcome back everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing well on this Thursday. We have lots to discuss and some important stuff to discuss as always. So let's go ahead and jump into our first story. Joe Biden has pardoned all individuals who have been convicted of federal simple possession charges of marijuana. That is good. His campaign promise was to decriminalize marijuana and that has not been a step that he's taken. But this is uh, one step in that direction, we'll say, and definitely will positively impact those that it applies to. So let's go ahead and read about this. We'll look at his announcement and then um, a little bit more after that. President Joe Biden Thursday announced he's pardoning all Americans who have been convicted of simple marijuana possession under federal law. That's important, federal law, because most of those are going to be at the state level. Coming closer to keeping a 2020 campaign promise to decriminalize the drug a little more than a month before the midterm election. The executive action will benefit 6,500 people with prior federal convictions and thousands of others charged on the District of Columbia's criminal code, according to senior administration officials. Elaborating on the number of people affected, officials said there are no individuals currently in federal prison solely for simple possession of marijuana. But what's important about this is, uh, as it noted here, those who are currently charged, but then also wiping the uh, slate clean for those who have been charged in the past because that can affect a lot about your life when you have those prior uh, convictions on your record. So then here is uh, Biden announcing this with a social media video. As I said when I ran for president, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. It's already legal in many states and criminal records for marijuana possession have led to needless barriers to employment, to housing, to educational opportunities. And that's before you address the racial disparities around who suffers the consequences. While white and black and brown people use marijuana at similar rates, black and brown people are arrested, prosecuted, and convicted at disproportionately higher rates. So today, I'm taking three steps to end this failed approach. First, I'm announcing a pardon for all prior federal, offense, federal offenses for the simple possession of marijuana. There are thousands of people who are convicted for marijuana possession who may be denied employment, housing, or educational opportunities as a result of that conviction. My pardon will remove this burden on them. Second, I'm calling on all governors to do the same for state marijuana possession offenses. Third, the federal government currently classifies marijuana as a Schedule I substance, the same as heroin and LSD, and more serious than fentanyl. It makes no sense. So I'm asking the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Attorney General to initiate a process to review how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. Even as federal and local regulations of marijuana change, important limitations on trafficking, marketing, and underage sales should stay in place. Too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana. It's time that we right these wrongs. Agreed. Uh, those steps are absolutely great. As you mentioned there, the uh, prior uh, convictions and that record being wiped as well as calling on governors, which what does that really mean calling on governors? But hopefully some of them get motivated to do the same for state, uh, cases. And then on top of that, looking into removing it from the schedule one substances list, which would be necessary. And, um, as I mentioned, to hold him accountable, his campaign promise, decriminalization, that's what he needs to get to. And hopefully this is him heading in that direction. And then here's CNN 
uh, talking about this, Caitlin Collins kind of breaking down some of this effectively. What President Biden has just announced in the last few minutes is that he is going to pardon all prior federal offenses of simple marijuana possession. That is going to potentially affect thousands of Americans and some estimates from the White House, about 6,500 Americans. In addition to uh, Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, this is going to apply to them as well. And in addition to this major step by President Biden, which the White House does say is in an effort to fulfill a campaign promise to ease violations on those who have been convicted of marijuana use. The president is also encouraging states and governors to do the same, to look at the same convictions in their states and potentially pardon them as well. And he is also instructing the Department of Health and Human Services and the attorney general to conduct a review into what marijuana is classified as. Right now, as you know, it is a schedule one drug that is higher than fentanyl, which has caused so many deaths and so many issues in the United States. And the White House clearly believes a review should be conducted potentially a change made there. And this is a huge step by President Biden that he is making, you know, just 32 days out from the midterms. And when we asked the White House, why now? Why this timing on this decision? They said it was in part because President Biden wants to fulfill that campaign pledge that he made and also because it's a decision that he has been weighing for some time. So this is incredibly significant news coming from the White House that President Biden is going to move to pardon. Okay, so reiterating some of the same points, um, or all the same points that we heard Biden make, but then adding on that this is an interesting time right before the midterms to hopefully do something to, um, you know, label Biden with someone or as someone who is following through on his campaign promises. And thus you can believe in the Democratic Party in the midterms to do the same if you vote them in. So good move. Hopefully, as everyone's talking about, this is the first step he's going to take towards uh, full decriminalization. And it's absolutely getting justice for people who never should have had that um, conviction based on possession, police, possession of marijuana, completely unnecessary. Um, and so credit to Biden for that. And hopefully we see more going forward. Matt Gates made an odd statement recently. And then another member kind of uh, supported his claim right after at the same event talking about the VA. So, of course, the VA deals with um, veterans, getting them the health services they need and all those things. And so he said, hey, maybe it's too broken and we should just abolish the VA abolish the VA, says Matt Gates, uh, in place, put some sort of private situation that's funded by the government, as we've seen with um, the push to do the similar thing in schooling. And anytime they want to push towards privatization, it's to put money in the hands of companies instead of really giving people the health care and the support, or in the case of education, um, the equal education that they deserve. So take a look at this statement and then we'll dive into some more specifics as well as look at the other guy who said a similar thing. So like, here is, here is my question to the group. Is it savable? I mean, why not abolish the VA, take all of the money that we are otherwise spending and go to an any willing provider system within our communities, and then if people get bad care, they can vote with their feet, and you don't have a two-tier system of healthcare in this country with our veterans and, and with everyone else. So like, here is- So uh, providing a very specific uh, organization and, um, you know, pursuit for veterans care, being the VA, is uh, 
absolutely justified and is is definitely what we should be doing. Now, I agree we shouldn't have a two-tiered system between veterans and the public in the sense that I think everyone should have universal health care and everyone should have access to good health care benefits provided by the government, but he doesn't. And so he's saying abolish the VA to make that more equal somehow. Odd. And then here is uh, Representative Andy Biggs saying a similar thing. I, I, I tend to agree. I think, I think Matt's right. I, don't, I think the patient's probably beyond, beyond help, but if we moved, if you put the cash uh, uh, on the back of the, the patient, the veteran, I think that will actually uh, move us to a, a more free, or excuse me, a freer option. And as that happens, I think you're going to see um, the Veterans Administration healthcare uh, shrink and more to the private sector, and everybody's going to be happier and get better health care and timely and what they need. So I... I so uh, I very much disagree with this. And funnily enough, the veterans themselves very much uh, disagree with those statements. Here is a survey that was done about veterans, uh, satis- you know, satisfied, satisfied nature or how satisfied are they with the VA's health care. And 82% of the veterans who were surveyed said they are satisfied. 82%. How often do you get... 82%. And then 11% are neutral. Only 7% are dissatisfied. So, uh, I think broadcast that loud and clear, Matt Gates and Andy Biggs. Make it absolutely known that the Republican Party, or at least some of its men- members, stand for abolishing the VA, abolishing those services that veterans get. Um, in place of some weird mixture of private, public funded, whatever. No. We have set up some things in this country, shockingly, that actually do a good job relative to the alternative that the government runs, um, and that people are largely very satisfied with. Now, the VA has issues. Yes. And those should be addressed. But thinking, that abolition is the solution um, in regard to the VA is nonsense. And it's a similar conversation with Medicare. Are there issues with Medicare? Yes. But do people uh, support Medicare? Absolutely. And does it do a better job getting people the healthcare services paid for that they need than leaving it to the private market? Yes. And so uh, making it clear that Democrats are the one who stand uh, are the ones who stand to protect your Medicare or protect your Social Security, or in this case, protect your VA benefits, is, I think, a campaign message to go with. And uh, absolutely horrible takes there from Matt Gates and Andy Biggs. Joe Biden went down to Florida to uh, see the damage, uh, show his support, as well as speak next to uh, Ron DeSantis. And it was an interesting dynamic playing out because both of them got up to talk and kind of complimented one another. But then Joe Biden dropped a little bit of a bomb. Okay. Later he drops an actual F bomb, but in this case, he drops a bomb by going, I'm so happy that Ron DeSantis has recognized and we're seeing people finally recognize global warming and the role in which that plays in all of this, in these extreme weather events and all those things. And he says that right as DeSantis is behind him 
And DeSantis has to just sit there and be like, oh gosh, because most Republicans still probably don't like that being brought up within this conversation. Uh, but first, this press conference that was done, uh, take a look here at DeSantis being complimentary towards Biden, someone who typically they have quite the feud going on. DeSantis throwing a lot of, uh, insults, usually criticisms by, uh, Biden's way. Now, little softer because I think he does see a situation where I got to be supportive of the guy who is able to give the proper amount of support to my state during this crisis. Take a look. We've worked as well across state, local and federal of any disaster that I've seen. And so I want to thank uh, Administrator Criswell from FEMA for being uh, on the ground, uh, being supportive and being very responsive. I think one of the things that you're seeing in this response, we are cutting through the bureaucracy. We are cutting through the red tape. Uh, and that's from local government, state government, all the way up uh, to the president. So we appreciate uh, the, the team effort. This is something that is, um, you know, these storms come, they're on the horizon. You kind of project, hey, it could be really bad. Oftentimes it doesn't necessarily get to that level. Well, this was, this was the full Monty. I mean, the storm surge that you saw through here uh, met the expectations, the highest expectations. And you've seen what significant damage that can do. Uh, so I'm just thankful that everyone's banded together. We've got a lot of work to do here. But I'll tell you, the spirit of the people of this state and Southwest. And then continues on to talk about them, which is absolutely true. Um, and it has been good to see a kind of smooth, coordinated effort by the government individuals involved in all this uh, go pretty well. And this is a situation where, okay, we have all these political divisions, but I guess it takes a hurricane for uh, DeSantis to worry less about his chances attacking Biden and his ability to do so and more about what would absolutely, uh, actually help the members of his state and the people of his state by not doing all the political stunts, not just attacking one another and instead coming together for a moment, for a moment. And then here's that moment that I spoke about where Joe Biden just beautifully drops a, a statement that you know Ron DeSantis, who's standing behind him, does not like. Somewhere else, remember, this is the United States of America. We're all in this together. Thank you. Mr. President, what do state and local and federal officials need to do differently to prevent future loss of life? What the governor's done is pretty remarkable. So, far. so for our podcast listeners, he finished his speech, reporter asked him a question, and now he's standing away from the microphone, just speaking out to the crowd. I think you'll be able to hear it still. He's speaking pretty loudly, uh, but this is where the important part is. This is what, what, he's, what he's done. In terms of, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, first of all, the biggest thing the governor's done and some of the others have done, they've recognized this thing called global warming. The world is changing. It's changing. And we have to change the way with the zoning codes. For example, somewhere else, remember. Okay, then he gets into specifics. Um, but it is true. Global warming is going to cause a situation where we have to adapt in new ways. And, um, or I guess adapt, yeah, is always going to be a new way. Um, but we do have to figure out ways to adapt properly to the changing environment in which we're going to live. And uh, denying the very fact that it's happening is going to severely prevent people's ability to do that, um, to adapt, to set up those correct processes um, to help us 
you know, live through this as easily as possible. Now, of course, number one priority, we need to do what we can to try to stop the severe climate change, right? We need to stop doing all the things that we do as humans that contribute to it, um, as well as take steps to uh, prevent horrible uh, effects based on what we haven't stopped that is happening. Um, but too many people still won't even recognize the real fact that climate change is happening and that it plays a role in severe weather events and all these things. And that's just going to hurt the people in which they represent. It's going to hurt people themselves who are denying these things. And that's that's a huge bummer. So I love how Biden, instead of saying, I want everyone to believe in this, he says, I love that the governor recognizes that global warming is happening. And just to quickly say, specifically about the storm, like I talked about when we covered it earlier, you can't say that global warming has caused one particular storm. That's not scientifically correct. But you can say that the uh, magnitude of severe weather events is increasing, is uh, contributed to by climate change, by global warming. That can be said, and that needs to be recognized for sure. And then something's got a lot of news from this uh, kind of event and then Biden afterwards walking up to the mayor of, I think, Fort Myers, Florida, and they're having a little talk. And uh, he says something to the effect of your family, I'm sure, is a lot like mine and uh, you can't F with a Biden. So it's kind of just a fun little moment between him and this mayor. And it's gotten a lot of attention. Some people are mad, specifically on the right. I don't know why. No one cares. Yes, of course, People drop F-bombs <laughs> in private, even the president. Why is that a big deal? Who knows? Take a look. He was in Florida touring the damage caused by Hurricane Ian. He met with Governor Ron DeSantis, of course. There was a moment between President Biden and the mayor of Fort Myers Beach that was caught on a hot mic. I just want to play it for you. Listen in. Yeah, goddamn right. And, and I can't argue with your brothers outside the house. That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. All right, good Thanks. to see you. So just a fun little moment between him and that other individual, um, but it has gotten a lot of attention. And to me, that's just kind of fun and. Uh, I don't want to use the word adorable with the president, but kind of just, it's likable. You know what I mean? It's oh cool. Uh, it kind of makes them a little bit more humanized and all that type of stuff, which I think is a good thing. Now, it's a different situation whenever you're choosing to use that type of language in a speech because it's a choice and you're um, maybe trying to convey a particular point or particular energy with that language. But when you're having a private conversation that gets picked up on a hot, hot mic, whatever. You do you. Um, and I thought that was actually kind of likable of Biden there. Herschel Walker has been doing his thing in the aftermath of the big Daily Beast story. And I want to show you an interview he did. It was a call-in interview with um, Hugh, Hugh Hewitt. Uh, Hugh Hewitt. There we go. Uh, and he talks in a very contradictory way about how I've been forgiven, but not for this thing, because this thing didn't happen. But if this thing did happen, I would be forgiven. Uh, 
and there wouldn't be anything to be ashamed of. Super confusing. It was something he did in a previous interview um, on Fox News where he's like, listen, I am a redemption story and blah, 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 blah. But why are you saying that within the context of being asked if you are or aren't lying about this story? I don't want to hear about how you're a redemption story when you're denying the very story that you would be asking to be redeemed for at this moment within the context of this conversation. Uh, so a similar little contradictory type moment here with Herschel Walker. And Herschel, the Daily Beast has updated the story about your paying for a woman's abortion. Uh, the anonymous woman has now also alleged that she had a child by you. Your response. I say it was the same thing I said that uh, you know I know this is untrue. I know it's untrue. And so we're going to look at in a second uh, the article that recently broke again from the Daily Beast, revealing that the person who came out to say that she was uh, paid for, or um, how do you say that properly? She got an abortion and he paid for it. There we go. She wasn't paid to get the abortion, but she uh, got it refunded by him for that. Um, abortion payment and she is the mother of one of his children so yeah okay um and here's him denying all of it all of it's a lie they keep telling me things like that and it's totally totally untrue and uh, i'm not sure why uh, that would be told i know nothing about any woman having an abortion and, and uh so they can they can keep coming at me like that and, and they're doing it because uh, they want to distract people. I know that because, you know, I've already been forgiven. And if I've been forgiven, why in the world will I not be forgiven of something I, like that? And I'm not so, saying being forgiven. So he's saying, I I've been forgiven, okay? You've been forgiven for other things. But well, so then why would I not be forgiven for this if it was true, but it's not? Huh? That is a mind bender. You're here. Is there anything you need to be forgiven for vis-a-vis right. -vis a woman whose name we do not know? Do you know who this woman is, and do you need to be forgiven? Well, that's, that's what's so funny. And I'm saying I've been forgiven because of all the things I did when I went to my when I, the, the thing with my ex-wife and all that. And okay. things I did, I don't know how many years ago that I wrote in my book. I said, guys, I wasn't perfect. I had my problem with mental health. And I've, uh, I've, uh, I've, I've been, I've, I've, I've been, I've, I've, I've been born again, but I, I have a new life and I've, I've been moving forward. And, and, uh, and, and if that had happened, I would have, I would have said it because there's nothing to be ashamed of there. So if that had happened, I guess he's saying there, then I would have admitted to it because there wouldn't have been anything to be ashamed of because I've gotten forgiven for all these other things. Ooh. Okay. You know, people have done that, but I know nothing about it. And uh, if I knew about it, I, I would be honest and talk about it. But I know nothing about that. Again, Herschel. So I think the host is also a little bit confused there. Uh, all right, cool. So you have been forgiven for so many things. And you would be forgiven for this if you did it. But you didn't do it. But you, uh, proof that you didn't do it is that you're denying it because you wouldn't deny it if it had happened because if it actually had happened, you know that there would be nothing to be ashamed of and you would have gotten forgiven, but you didn't do it. Hmm. 
interesting stuff there from Herschel Walker. Uh, and then here's that Daily Beast article uh, revealing that she's the mother of one of his children. After a woman revealed that Republican senatorial candidate Herschel Walker had urged her to have an abortion, Walker uh, adamantly denied the story and claimed he had no idea who the woman, uh, who this woman could be. But there's a good reason the woman finds the defense highly doubtful. She's the mother of one of his children. And it goes on to get into specifics, but that's kind of the big, the big headline there. And, uh, then here's Herschel Walker at a headline, a headline. What am I saying? A headline. Oh, I just said headline. That's why. Uh, here's him at a press conference making headlines. There we go. Uh, getting asked about his son first and then, um, a follow up that I found interesting. Your own son has said that you're not a family man. He has called you a liar. Why should Georgia voters believe your words over his? Because I love my son so much. He's a great little man. I love him to death. And you know what? I will always love him, no matter what my son said. Have let you me go a, over there to her real quick. Let me go back here to her. Let me go over here. We're going here. We're going here. Have you reached out to any of the mothers of your children? No. So the reporter is asking, have you reached out to any of the mothers of your children? Because uh, one of them is making these claims about you. Why? Why not? Uh, why do I need to? Well, because according to the article, one the woman who says that you paid for her to have an abortion is also the mother of one of your children. It seems like that's, that's an easy way. Because to of the article, I had more kids. That's why I didn't reach out to anyone because I said no. And that's what I mean. When I said no, I, I said it's not correct. That's a lie. And that's what I mean. That's a lie. But if the um, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> I, I don't know what he was trying to say there. Uh, he's denying it. So he shouldn't reach out to the mother of his children. Cause I guess he's saying that this isn't even a mother of his children. Okay. There you go. Um, took a second for my brain to get around that response there. So Herschel Walker not doing great in the aftermath of this story. And I am so curious to see over the next few days, once pollsters can do a fresh, uh, fresh batch of polling, what the effect of the story is going to be on his chances winning in the midterms, which is under a month away. Crazy stuff. Um, and we will follow it so closely because this is an incredibly important race. Donald Trump said something at a recent event that I want to show you. And then I promise, because you'll hear him say this and say, why are we covering this? This is completely pointless. Uh, he's just being dumb old Trump. But there's an important point to be made around it. Hold on that instead of me spoiling it. Um, and then here is him saying that first. I remember a very famous pollster, very well-known. John McLaughlin came to my office just prior to the play coming in. He said, sir, if George Washington and Abraham Lincoln came alive from the dead and they Lincoln they formed a president, vice president team, you would beat them by 40 percent. That's how good our numbers were. I remember. Let's let's just listen to him say that one more time to uh, fully grasp the level of you fill the blank there that is being portrayed in this this uh, moment very famous pollster, very well-known. John McLaughlin came to my office just prior to the play coming in. He said, sir, if George Washington and Abraham Lincoln came alive from the dead and they formed a president, vice president team, you would beat them by 40%. That's how good our numbers were. Um, 
Whoa. So there's two options there about what the truth is. Either the truth is that never happened and, uh, or let's say three options. The first is that never happened. He's making it up. And, uh, that's how delusionally narcissistic he is. Number two is, uh, it happened, but the pollster was kidding. Number three, it happened and the pollster was just blowing so much air up his, you know, where, um, and, and trying to just kiss up to him in a disgusting manner. Because I think intuitively we can all understand, hmm, maybe two of the most historically popular presidents in history would have a good shot against one of the most historically, uh, consistently unpopular president, according to polling, at least in recent history. Uh, they probably have a good shot. Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Americans have a very high, high opinion of those two individuals, but this got fact-checked by the Washington Post, um, showing the polling difference between them. People have strongly favorable or somewhat favorable views broken down on a graph, and poll, uh, the polls show that Trump here is below all of them in, uh, in many ways there. So, obviously that's not the case. Now, one more thing to disprove what he said, and then we'll look at uh, the, the larger point here. How Biden compares to past presidents is the graphs you're looking at right now. So the green line is Biden. The gray line is the president that is labeled there. So ignore the green line because we don't need to look at that right now. We're not looking how he compares to Biden. But look at just Trump's polling versus the last uh, five presidents here. Okay, You can see that he was consistently low. He was one of the uh, few presidents, and on this graph, the only president to not break 50% approval rating at any point during his, his presidency. So believing that someone whose polling was consistently low would be more popular than two of the most popular presidents in U.S. history is crazy. Uh, is absolutely crazy. But like I said, that's just silly. That's just us having fun. What's the larger point? Okay. I think this belief is something a lot of the MAGA community holds. Maybe not specifically about Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, but that Trump is just incredibly, incredibly popular in the country. And that's why they are so confused about the 2020 election. And that is why so many of them choose to believe that Trump won and it was stolen than just accepting that he lost, right? And I have a few uh, clips to show you from interviews I did at this one event where it just so happened three different people conveyed this idea to me very clearly um, back to back. So you've probably, if you've followed me for a while, seen some of these, but very, very interesting revealing that truly... Um uh, sorry, the belief of the election being stolen is rooted in a belief that Trump is just super popular. You can just see it, look around, and we'll talk about why in a second here, but here's the first interview from this one event. Um, and then 2020, you think it was stolen? Yeah. From Trump? For sure. And what makes you believe that? I just, I believe it. I, I, when I registered to vote here in Austin, the register in Austin, Texas, man, when I was uh, changing states, and she was laughing at me like a week and a half before the election, going, ha ha, this election's already been decided. 
I was in the car. I had a witness. I'm a caregiver. I was driving this like. Do you think she just meant since Biden was so ahead in the polls? No, he was not ahead in the polls. And no, definitely. No, I mean like uh, no, polling. He was cynical and uh, no, 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 no. Because I bet money with somebody that Biden would win, but it wasn't because I had inside information. I don't have inside information. It's just a feeling. Just a feeling? And, and, and just with the comment, I mean, just walk around, walk around, walk around. So she ends it with just walk around, just walk around, just walk around. Uh, and so her first anecdote was someone said to me, um, this election's already been decided. And so then I posed back. But that could have been the, them just thinking, look, the polls look really good for Biden. It's already all over for him. Um, and... Then she flipped to, well, just walk around. Okay, so walk around. What would that mean? That means walk around. You could tell that obviously Trump is uh, beloved. And then here's a similar kind of exchange. So if he runs in 2024 um, and he loses, do you think it'll also be stolen again? It could be possibly, but there's no way to say that it will be or won't be. And how will you tell if it is or isn't? Like, do you think he could just lose fair and square? Yeah, he could, very possibly, but, I mean, we feel this last election was rigged and that there are a lot of unknown voters that have passed, and how do you vote if you're dead? You're saying people use the names of dead voters? Yes. To vote? Even though that hasn't been shown out well, in any of the court cases or anything? has shown, but... Research from who? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I'd have to ask the person who told me this, and he is not with us today. Okay, so there, again conveying the idea that based on my personal experiences and someone who's not here with me right now, research they had showed me, so I believe um, that the election was stolen. Not someone told me this restaurant's really good, so I believe them. No, that the election was stolen. And then last one here, and uh, then we'll discuss further. From right, I'm here event. with the best looking people at this event. What are you guys hoping to see here at the, uh, the speech? I'm looking for anything that has to do with election fraud. Uh, we came to hear Dinesh and the new movie, 2000 Mules, how to avoid this going forward. My recommendation to your whole audience is everybody needs to take off some time in November. Let's get to every ballot location with video and start videotaping this so it doesn't happen again. Okay, what about you? And I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where obviously they had 1,100 mules. Um, I just wanted to ask Dinesh, what is it that we could do differently for the next election? And obviously, you know, it's really nice to be around a lot of other patriots. So here's my question on that. When I hear people talk about this, I want to give it the time of day. But then you look at every official medium that you would make, you know, prove that. The courts, all those things. Well, courts, and it's not, no, it's, and it's not like there's not even the people that Trump appointed. Good question. So the thing is, we all know that it happens. So we I don't know that, but... What's that? I don't know that. So then what, just absorb this. He starts with, we all know that it happens. Um, wait, how do we know that? And then look at the, the direction he takes the conversation. Sorry, it's loading. Well, I need evidence to believe something like that. You already know. I know. So listen, it's this. How about this? Social media only seems to censor liberals because they never talk how great Biden is. 81 million people. I've yet to see anything pro-Biden. How about you? I think Biden's done good stuff. There's some pro-Biden stuff. Like what? American Rescue Plan, getting out of Afghanistan, managing Place the Russia-Ukraine war. Taxes at its 40-year high. So then you, you heard the important point there. Uh, I'll cut it off. So um, the, the response that he settled with about why the election was stolen is he goes, listen, how about this? 
uh, 81 million people, I'm yet to see anything pro-Biden. So this all concludes, based on the Trump clip, into the idea uh, that if you are someone who supports Trump and exists in these social media echo chambers that in a way we are all very much uh, affected by some more than others. And that's not necessarily just to right and left. There's some left people who are also just as much in their left echo chamber, but we should all make an effort to get out of them. Uh, and so if you are someone who believes Trump is so popular, he could beat Lincoln in Washington, as he said, and you look in all of your social circles, all of your social media interactions that are Design the social media interactions to make you have the best experience or get the most engagement, whatever it is that makes you get in these echo chambers where oftentimes everyone believes what you do. And then all your social circles, because of how divided we are socially based on our politics now, uh, are people who are huge Trump supporters. You see the world and think someone who's as popular as Trump, who could beat Lincoln and Washington, who is supported by every person I know, could not possibly have lost to Biden, the guy that, you know, I haven't seen anything positive about on my social media feed, as that guy said. And that's how this belief gets so strongly uh, put into their hearts and their minds. So then when a right-wing commentator comes along and says the election was stolen, all of the internal stress uh, that you had watching Biden defeat the guy who's all of the things I just listed in their minds, it gets released. Oh, that's what happened. It's not that maybe my lens in which I see the world is not accurate. Maybe my anecdotes and my personal experiences aren't actually the most accurate representation of the country at large. Maybe I am very biased in the way that I see and observe the world. No, I don't have to believe any of those things because the election was stolen. So I'm still right. I'm still okay. And that is why there's now an entire movement that is willing, as we're going to talk later in the show, uh, is getting more and more pushed towards believing civil war is necessary because the election was stolen from the guy they love and the guy that's so popular because of this inability to separate their own personal experiences. Again, people on the left do this as well. We all, in a way, do this, and then just how much we do it is at question. Uh, say, saying to yourself and believing that the entire world or the entire country or reality is what your personal experiences uh, uh, tell you that it is. And that is where this running away, now this is more specific to the right, from larger sets of data and research and uh, academic uh, endeavors and studies and all these things is really dangerous because if you don't have broader research that can tell you as someone who only has your personal experiences until you either hear about other people's or understand based on research that is done on a broader level, on a more uh, expansive level, uh, when you're told by those things, a little bit more about the reality that is, not the reality that you see, but the reality that more uh, accurately exists and so interesting stuff there that's the more important point off of trump being <laughs> looney tunes um or off of the pollster telling him something that's completely silly and i think we all need to watch out for it you as someone on the left 
or if you're someone who's conservative, we all need to do our best to try to get information from a lot of sources, understand which ones um, are able to be trusted more often, where we should be gathering our information and all those things so that we don't get subject to a situation where we believe outlandish things so that we don't have to uh, internally struggle with a contradiction with something we already believed. A study has been done that uh, yielded some incredible and heartbreaking and also enraging for me results. So uh, what this study found was that, and we'll read about it in a second here, but to give you a summary up front, after the COVID-19 vaccine came out, the death rate gap between Republicans and Democrats widened significantly. So throughout much of the pandemic before the vaccine, it was pretty much the same, similar, a little bit different at different times, but for the most part, uh, even. But then after the vaccine came out, it shot up for Republicans compared to Democrats. So the death rate was much higher for Republicans than Democrats. And we know why that is. Huge anti-vax sentiment from Republicans. So this type of rhetoric, these types of words being spoken matters and it mattered and it cost people's lives. So let's read from Mediate here. Uh, a new study published this week by the National Bureau of Economic Research found that uh, found the gap between Democrats and Republicans dying from COVID-19 increased significantly after the vaccines became widely available. The study was conducted by three Yale researchers. Uh, you can see their names there and looked at excess deaths in Florida and Ohio broken down by party affiliation. Excess death refers to the number of COVID-19 fatalities during a given period of time that exceeded the number of deaths expected based on previous modeling. In 2018 and the early parts of 2020, excess death rates for Republicans and Democrats are similar and centered around zero, the, re uh, the researchers explained. Both groups experienced a similar large spike in excess deaths in the winter of 2020 and 2021. However, in the summer of 2021, after vaccines were widely available, the Republican excess death rate rose to nearly double that of Democrats, and this gap widened further in the winter of 2021. So we'll continue, but you can see there, excess deaths, again, like it noted, being above what previous modeling had predicted, was around zero before the vaccine. So around what was being expected for um, and predicted, and then... For Republicans, it shot way above what was being expected, as well as way above um, Democrats, which is, again, like I said at the top, heartbreaking and enraging. Take a look at this graph. You can see there when the vaccine comes into play, the gap widens significantly. Overall, the excess death rate for Republicans was 5.4 percentage points or 76% higher than the excess death rate for Republicans. 76% higher than the excess death rate for Democrats. Wow. That needs to be discussed so much more. Republican uh, politicians, right-wing political commentators, and all these people spreading myths and disinformation about COVID-19 and the vaccine, they need to do some introspection because undeniably that rhetoric as shown in the data there cost people's lives. 76% higher for Republicans and Democrats. And that means if in a, a better world, 
Democrats too would have a lower death rate and thus you could bring down both of them. But even if you just got Republicans down to the Democrats death rate after the vaccine came out, we would have saved thousands of lives. Does anyone on the right care about that? Please, 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 please. I hope people hear this because when it was happening, the left was screaming, stop, don't do this. We could do what other countries are doing and unite as a country around this. We don't have to make this a huge divisive issue, but it became one for some reason. Uh, being anti-vax became the most popular and profitable thing on the right. And thus all these people had their lives ended and people around them uh, significantly destroyed because of losing someone that they didn't have to lose if people weren't spreading this misinformation. And um, as I alluded to, other countries that did it better than us, this was a uniter. Wow, a crisis that we can all unite around. This isn't political. Let's do what we can do to save one another's lives. That's not how we saw it. It became a huge thing. We still hear today um, people using it, the, uh, the response of the pandemic from certain government individuals and institutions as a rallying cry for why you should be Republican because we wouldn't have done anything. It's, it's incredible. It's wild. And now we have research showing that it got people killed. There was uh, a New York Times article released that I want to go through with you guys that was really, really fascinating and scary about the talk of the word civil war on social media spiking after the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago. So let's go ahead and look at this, and then we'll look at polling afterwards about that same issue. After Mar-a-Lago search, talk of civil war is flaring online, again for the New York Times. Soon after the FBI searched Donald J. Trump's uh, home in Florida for classified documents, online researchers zeroed in on a worrying trend. Posts on Twitter that mentioned civil war had soared nearly 3,000 percent in just a few hours as Mr. Trump's supporters blasted the action as a provocation. Similar spikes followed, including a Facebook, Reddit, Telegram, Parler, Gab, and True Social, Mr. Trump's social, uh, I should have said including on those platforms, Mr. Trump's social media platform. Mentions of the phrase more than doubled on radio programs and podcasts as measured by Critical Mention, a media tracking firm. Posts mentioning civil war jumped again a few weeks later after President Biden branded Mr. Trump and MAGA Republicans a threat to the very foundations of our republic in a speech on democracy in Philadelphia. Now experts are bracing for renewed discussions of civil war as the November 8 midterm elections approach and political talk grows more urgent and heated. So uh, it seems to be the case that this was heavily on the right, especially after the Mar-a-Lago raid, because as it noted, uh, people on the right believe that is the super unjustified, tyrannical, Biden-run thing to take down Trump. Even though we've seen the FBI went through all the correct legal processes, is actually the legal system giving way more leeway to Trump. All of this process is going way more in a soft way on him than any other person would get. And yet still people um, call it a politically motivated attack or political persecution. And so then they're using that fact, that false fact, um, as justification to talk about civil war. And I've made clear that is not something that if you're 
anyone. But if you're someone who follows me because you're also progressive um, or whatever, and you have that bouncing around in your head, mm, maybe civil war, is that going to happen? Or uh, a national se- secession? No, that is not an option. We are Americans, all of us, and we all deserve uh, to stay as one 100%, not to even mention the logistical challenges of that, that would be near impossible. Um, but then to read a little bit about public opinion on this, Yahoo News writes, more than half Amer- of Americans expect that a civil war will erupt in the United States sometime in the near future. When asked to respond to the statement, in the next few years, there will be a civil war in the United States, 47.8% of respondents chose do not agree. 36.4% said they somewhat agree with the statement, 8.4% agree strongly, and 5.3% agreed very strongly. The remaining 2.1% chose not to respond. More than half of Americans expect a civil war uh sometime in the near future. That is scary. Now, that doesn't mean over half want it at all. That doesn't mean um, they would participate in or whatever. But people see the heat rising and they see the divisions getting deeper and more profound and think, I don't see how this ends any other way than a civil war. And again, that's not an option. There's a whole lot of stuff that we will have to deal with and I expect that and we should um, be ready for it, but it's not a solution to have a civil war. And it's not a solution to expect a peaceful secession. We're going to break up the country, red and blue. I've talked about before, logistically, think about it. Okay, uh, in a very, very simple terms, uh, or in very, very simple terms, cities are more blue, rural areas more red, okay? So how would you do that? (laughs) Are you going to say, again, the south part of the country, everyone in rural areas in the north, you got to go move down to the south and then people in urban areas got to move. What are we talking about? No, not happening. But the most important reason is, as I mentioned, we all share in the American story. And so to believe that we should end that story by breaking it up in half or whatever, uh, is to me a disgusting sentiment. And we should be ready to go through whatever struggles, we should be willing to go through whatever struggles it takes to not be headed towards that future. Um, But it takes a lot of action and change in mindset from a lot of people. And uh, I don't know if people are going to do that. So very, very serious situation going on, at least as far as public opinion goes and as far as chatter of this. And I do think this is a little bit of a narrative thing. So because people talk about it a lot, but even the people talking about it aren't that serious on social media, oh, there's going to be a civil war. But then people see that and think, oh, they're serious. So a lot of people must be believing this. And so this must be on the horizon. No, I think most people don't actually think that's something they would want to uh, participate in or want to see happen. And it's more of a uh, provocative thing people want to say, oh, we're going to have a civil war. And so I don't think it's going to happen in the near future at all. And I don't think it should happen. And I hope you all agree with that. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. I will see you tomorrow.